I prefer the term artificial person myself. Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. In this episode, we'll be talking about our favorite sci-fi robots. Then we'll wrap up our week in geek with what we've been watching, reading, and playing. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game on Girl. Well, today we're going to talk about our all-time favorite robots in science fiction. And once I started making this list, I realized that maybe we should have um, had some requirements like uh, robots in literature, robots in movies, <laughs> good versus evil. Because, I, I mean, once when I was first th- thinking about it, I was like, there's not that many. Oh, but oh my God. Yeah, it didn't take very long for it to kind of like blossom into, mm, there's a lot. Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense. I mean, when you start thinking about it, robots are have always been a great fascination in science fiction. Yeah, well, and, and the, the idea of artificial human life or artificial life taking on humanity in some way is one of the greatest themes of science fiction in general. It, it's one of yeah. the things that elevates science fiction, some would say maybe above other sort of geeky uh, genres like fantasy, because it does have that let's look and let's explore what humanity means. And in a lot of ways, robots are a really good way to sort of really look at that. What does it mean if you have an, a being that can move and, and simulate human action? Does it mean that they have the same kind of feelings and thoughts and experiences? Yeah. And I also got to thinking about so we we've done a lot of these top five lists, mm-hmm. and they're a lot of fun. But we, I mean, top five doesn't even begin when you start trying to sort them out and decide who should be in the only top five. I'm thinking that just like uh, one of my favorite uh, formatted podcasts is Film Spotting. Right. Um, they they agree on a pantheon. So that when they get ready to make their list, their top five or their top ten, there are certain ones that they everybody just knows, you know, okay, we're, we're not putting Citizen Kane in right. the list. Everybody knows it's in the Pantheon and it's a foregone conclusion. Right. That it's just accepted that this is part of the, the best of what we have to offer. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'm going to propose three for the Pantheon. Okay. And we can start start with that. Okay. And, well, we could we could do that or we could do it after. Do you want to do your top five list first? Uh, Let's do that. Okay. Why don't you go ahead and start? Now, are yours, I see your list, are yours in order? Uh, yeah, well, they're in they're in descending order. Like, n- number five is the, the farthest down and number one is the yeah, top one. Yeah, start with number five. Okay, so for number five, I have, um, I have my favorite evil influence robot. <laughs> Uh, from Stargate SG-1, I have the Replicators. And the Replicators were one of the most destructive forces that um, the SG-1 team came across in the universe. They were very efficient. They were able to build and destroy and just take over wherever they were. And it was virtually impossible to kill them. And they were just fantastic. On that basis alone, they were fantastic. Now, were they, um, let's see, that's another thing I wanted, because uh, I researched the terminology, because uh-huh. um, we didn't make any of these distinctions either. Right. Um, a robot is non-humanoid. Right. An android is humanoid-like, 
Right. And a cyborg actually has human some components. living tissue. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the replicators are those androids? No, they're they're robots. They're they're little okay. Okay. Uh, almost spider like creatures. Um, that one, I think if I'm, I'm remembering correctly, I probably should have watched an episode or two to refresh my memory on it. But often when you shot them, you could, you know, like shoot them with your, your guns or whatnot, but they would just break into pieces and then those pieces would make new, um, replicators, hence their names, which is one of the reasons why they were so dangerous and so difficult to fight. What they ended up doing, I won't say that because it's like the, at the be all end all of their, their story. So I won't, I won't mention that, but because uh, no spoilers, <laughs> you, you want to watch Stargate SG-1. This is an original Stargate series. There's many spinoffs of Stargate. Um, and I'm not sure if those had replicators in them as well. That might be something interesting to look at. But anyway, they were the this, yeah, that was one of the problems with them was they were these robots. Um, they didn't have like, they didn't have like a brain center necessarily. Like anything could like break off and become a new one. So that was one of the powers that they had and one of the reasons why they were so dangerous. So they were they were robots. I have two robots and three androids oh, okay. on my list. So now these I don't remember the replicate the replicators were not in the Stargate movie, were they? No, they were not in the Stargate yeah, movie. This so. is in the series. And late in the okay. series too, like season the later seasons. Bad guys. Well, I noticed in my list too, I, I, I ordered my list as well, uh, one to five, and that I noticed with it that it almost um, is perfectly uh, chronological. Hmm. Interesting. And the fifth position is one of the newest cyborgs, or actually, you know what? I think it's illegal for this list. Illegal? Because, yeah, because I wasn't including any AI. Oh. Oh, this is a great debate. Okay, all of you <laughs> listeners, you have to tell me my number five on the list is Agent Smith from The Matrix. Okay. He's not a robot. He's not a robot. He's an AI. Yeah. Well, you know, that actually makes things much simpler because I was I was really torn about between him and the Cylons. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Agent Smith goes away and the Cylons move up. Yay! <laughs> We really so, need to get together and play the BSG game, Rhonda. That's yeah. Happen. <laughs> I, I, I hear nothing but good things about. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So for my number five, still it hits a chronological order are the Cylons with Battlestar Galactica. Okay. And I'm, I'm really, really pleased um, with the transition they made in the new series with the looks mm-hmm. and actions of the, of the uh, Cylons from the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a great transition. I mean, in science fiction, it always plays out that the 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 more realistic the cyborgs, the more terrifying they are. Right. Absolutely. That's that's always the sort of defining thing is that the more like human like your androids become, then the more dangerous the world is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the the idea that in um, Battlescar Galactica that the some of the cyborgs had no idea that they were cyborgs. I know that that was my favorite. It's just brilliant. One of my favorite parts of that whole series was was that concept and the and the fact that people found out as they were going. And I was like <laughs> with I think it was Chief the uh, the mm-hmm. um, engineer. Mm-hmm. I, I said, I'm going to be so upset if he's a Cylon. Like in the first season, I said that before there was any hint <laughs> whatsoever that he was. And I was watching with Chris and Chris was like, and he knew and he just was just like, you know, totally tight lipped. 
which I know now is his sign for I'm on to something. Oh. <laughs> but I didn't know that then. He just gets really yeah. quiet when I actually hit right on something. So, yeah. 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 So well, I guess that really one of the reasons why I think it was so brilliant is because for me, the a lot of the series was about um, class division mm-hmm. and race. Yeah. And whether or not that um, the Cylons and the humans should coexist, whether or not one, you know, should eliminate the other. Mm-hmm. And it, all the lines got blurred right. once these characters that we fell in love with right. turned out to be Cylons. Yeah. It was very, it was very heartbreaking. Yeah, it was. It, it, it's such a stressful show. I, I, I want to rewatch it, but I don't want to yeah. stretch myself out again. And I watched yeah. it when I was working on my dissertation, and which was just oh, bad. And I didn't even think about it at first. And about, you know, a few weeks into watching, I was like, God, this is so, I'm so stressed out. Why am I so stressed out? <laughs> and I realized I was Well, what about your number four? So my number four, another robot, are um, the DRDs from a TV show called Farscape. And uh, the DRDs are similar to the replicators in that they are true robots and that they are just able to do human-like things but aren't but don't take human form. Um, and for the most part, they don't have a lot of personality. They, they're just like little... Do you remember in Star Wars when there's a little like robot that like goes up to go to the, to the door and Chewbacca yells at it and it kind of runs away? Yeah. It, they're that kind of robot. They're just the little huh. tiny helpful robots that, that can get into like the tight spaces in the ship and can help with different things. And for the most part through the series, they don't have a lot of personality, except that Crichton ends up training one of them to whistle uh, the 1812 Overture. <laughs> and so he becomes 18 and then he marks him with tape on the side 1812. So he gets called 1812. Um, so, oh, so he's the most notable of the DRDs. Uh, but they get my notation for most helpful because they are really always there in a pinch to kind of jump in and help you out and, you know, fix everything and help keep everybody safe and all that stuff. So, yeah, see now this were it, I can't believe it. This is reminding me of some robots that are in the fifth element. Oh, yes, yes, exactly. And I didn't even I didn't even, I didn't even think about the fifth list. element either. And it's like one of my all time favorite sci-fi movies. Oh my god, I love that movie. Yeah, me too. Ruby Rod. Sorry. Ruby <laughs> Great. So great. Super great. John and I, every now and then, we'll go, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's a great character. Really. Well. It really is a great character. <laughs> um, well, my number four is uh, Bishop from Aliens. And I've got him as the best dismembered robot rescue <laughs> or android rescue scene. <clears throat> um, I, I was trying to figure out why he belonged on the list. And it's it's a transition of the story from the the completely evil android or, or cyborg in um is he a cyborg or is he an android? Uh he's an android. He's an android. Yeah. Because yeah. he would be all artificial. Yeah. Um Ash in the first alien. And then Bishop, who was in under suspicion for every reason, because that's the problem with cyborgs. Uh, with androids is they're human-like and it's impossible to read tells. Right, right. There just aren't any tells. Right. So that made that last scene so much more climactic in that he actually did come through, then he gets ripped in half. So we see him actually become the hero and we're like, yay, Bishop. (laughs) Rip. (laughs) 
and then, you know, helping save Newt and everything. And so um, at that point, you're just really, really glad they can just glue him all back together. So. Yeah, exactly. And they can put all the pieces together. Great, great android rescue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now, gosh, we're already up to number three. On to number three. Yeah, so I have for number three... My first android, I have Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. And my notation for him is he's the best attempt at being human. Because, of course, that, you know, almost the entire series and the movies are about Data figuring out how to act more like a human, how to have more human characteristics. Um, Perhaps sometimes to the envy of his compatriots, especially um, there's that one scene, I think it's in First Contact, when he's describing what it's like to be afraid. Yeah. Picard turns to him and says, perhaps this would be a good time to turn off your emotion chip, Mr. Data. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think he actually says, sometimes I really envy you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I do too. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's some some moments when that would, you know, not be such a horrible... (laughs) thing i shouldn't say that you know because your humanity and he he is you know endeavoring so much to be human but i but i love that and i love his attempts and i love his um his failed attempts at poetry and some creative endeavors i think are just really fantastic so because again as i said to start that episode out they point out just you know how important our humanity is and how important our failures are and to how we learn Mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. That, I think that's what's kind of inspiring about Data is that he he never was afraid to try. No, he was extremely determined, and he learned. He just considered the entire thing an enormous experiment and learning process. Mm-hmm. And I wish sometimes that we as humans would approach it that way and not be so concerned with how we come off to others or what we say to others. Or doing and just, it exactly uh, right or doing it exactly the yeah. way, you know, learning learning the process as we go, which, you know, we're taught as children and then slowly taught to kind of move away from that you should yeah. master whatever tasks you're doing. And, and data is a great reminder to us that none of us ever masters our humanity, that that is yeah. something that we all should be constantly working and striving to better and and become better and stronger so yeah he's he's got a lot to offer that's for sure even with his green eyes yeah <laughs> <laughs> well my number three is the gunslinger from westworld a 1973 utopia movie it's basically adult entertainment um all of these people pay huge sums of money to go to the utopia of their choice or their era or experience of the choice. Mm. Uh, you can go to Greece, you can go to Rome, you can go to the, the wild West. Um, there's just all kinds of environments you can live in. And the, all of them are uh, operated and populated by Android and the humans run everything from a control room. Well, something obviously goes terribly, terribly wrong with all the androids. And all of a sudden they start killing all the humans oh, oops. and Westworld. Um, the, the wonderful Yul Brenner uh, plays the gunslinger Android mm. and perfect. Choice. I, I labeled him as the, most pernicious infinite loop (laughs) the guy just will not die yeah he just keeps going after you and again it's it's the scary thing that if it were a human or a a zombie you could shoot it in the head and it's over right but with a mechanical being you know they can even like you said repair repair themselves yeah and adapt i was just thinking of that as another you know and a a lot of the the themes around uh, uh, robots and artificial life stem from a fear of technology that that's just sort of inherent in in 
and is more important at different points in time in our history, which is one of the reasons why there's lots of, um, uh, if you look after um, the 9-11 attacks, that there were lots of movies that came out after that about the fear of technology and the mm-hmm. danger of technology and and the danger of escaping into technology all became, you know, different things that kind of peaked at that point. And it's interesting to think about that Westworld is 1973, and that would have been very early in our computer technology, but it still would have been the emerging sort of stuff would have been going on. The big computers would have been happening, the big number crunchers and all those kinds of things were, were you know, out. So that might have been part of what was kind of coming out of this fear of not being able to get away from it and that it keeps coming back and it won't let you go kind of idea. Right. It's extrapolated where they're... they're- saying, you know, it's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Um, once we make it a part of our everyday lives and then it becomes a natural everyday thing that we let into our homes, mm-hmm. um, what have we done? Exactly. We've, you know, we've created this monster that we've, you know, which some people might say we have done with cell phones. <laughs> well, what did you get for your number two? We're really, we're getting down to the nitty gritty. We're getting down to the, to the nitty gritty. So I had a, I had a toss up. I kept going back and forth for a while between um, my number one and my number two choice. Um, so I, for number two, I picked the, the single most inappropriate Android that I've ever witnessed. <laughs> and I love him for that. And it is Bender from Futurama. <laughs> yeah. And he's great. he is great. And he, he's just, there's so much to, to what he does and his character and, and, you know, the inappropriate things he says and the inappropriate things he does. And, you know, he's just, he's just fantastic. He's just a fantastic, you know, general kind of bad robot, but not bad in a like malicious way. Not mm-hmm. at least sometimes he's kind of malicious, but he doesn't really mean to be malicious. He's kind of accidentally malicious. Um, <laughs> he's a frat boy robot. He's a frat boy robot. That is, yeah, pretty much what he is. And um, I saw the best cos- cosplay of um, him at um, Emerald City Comic Con a couple years ago, uh, where they had um, uh, Lila, right? Uh-huh. And, um, oh, God, I can't remember the redhead, the guy's name. Anyway, they had the two characters, and then they had Bender. And they had Bender set up so that they could move his eyes and change his eyes and change his expression. Oh, man. So as they were walking through the con and as you were trying to take pictures with him, they would change expressions and he'd move his eyes, like, you know, go oh, back and nice. forth between, like, different things. And you could actually open his, you know, his... Uh, belly or whatever and that's where they had all like the pieces to change his facial expressions and all these things it was it was really cool yeah that's pretty yeah. good it, it, i think bender's a, a a wonderful example to me as far as not that the sci-fi in futurama is extremely deep but it's still there right. but the the extrapolation of you know robots become so common that they actually become couch potatoes just like that. yeah exactly like they, <laughs> they don't have to be ambitious or <laughs> yeah. try to help or be helpful anymore they can just be sort of regular joes so so that's that is you know kind of a nice commentary as well um very very kind of fun so who is your number two i'm actually kind of jealous looking at your list that you that you got the list first so you got to put this one on yours yeah well and you know what i if if we had similar list i wouldn't have I wouldn't have minded, but um, very early on, I became absolutely fascinated with Metropolis. Mm -hmm. And part of that is my love for for Art Deco era and and art. And the false Maria in Metropolis is actually not in the movie that much. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's a very small part. It's a very small part, but the image is so iconic. Um, I don't think I realized how iconic that she was. I started doing some research because I've watched the movie several times, and it is very much about the fear of machines, Mm -hmm. the fear of industry. Yes, coming out of the Industrial Revolution, (laughs) as I said, the markers of of our, you know, progress as being part of what creates the fear. Yep. But I wanted to learn a little bit more about what did the directors and the writers of the film use as the symbolism, because Maria actually takes on several titles. If you look at, like, Internet and Movie Database, Mm -hmm. they call her the Seven Sins, uh, the Whore Babylon. They call her Maria. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot lot going on with uh, the false Maria, but I put her down as the most beautiful silent era Mm-hmm. A robot, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I just don't think that anyone can really beat number six from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> well, she's definitely got sex appeal too. Yeah, um, and, and Maria is is a, a robot. She is well, she's an android. She's an android. She's, yeah, she's very. She's got human features. They've you know got hands and legs and feet and eyes and everything. Um, which probably, I think, probably singles her out from, from number six then, because number six would be more of a cyborg, right? Right. Yes. Yeah, because they have flesh, so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just fascinating, though, when I was doing the research about how often that image is copied in movies and in film, album covers, costumes. Mm-hmm. It, it represents that that tear actually between the the good and the evil of industry of technology and of class division mm-hmm. it's just a it, it it's a captivating film. You should watch it over and over again. Yeah. And there's, there's, a, and like you said, she's so beautiful that, that sort of the, you know, the temptation of beauty. Yeah. Is, is, ties along with that too. And the temptation of technology and, and making things easier. That, that's all something that, that falls into that. What we're afraid of and what we're afraid of losing control of as well. So, yeah. One of the articles I read, it was really interesting. I didn't get to finish it, but they were talking about the gender issues in Metropolis mm-hmm. and, how they chose to use a woman to represent um, the fear that man can't, mankind has of, of beauty and technology and of uh, advancement. Mm, yes, yes, yeah, for the same reasons. Yeah. Okay, we're down to it. All right, all right. And so our listeners are listening, and they're, all of them are sitting out there going, but what about blah? What yeah. about who? Okay, so this is it. These are the last two choices. But you got to realize we're only mentioning 10 robots. Right. <laughs> right. And we have a list of 20 others that we could yes. have included. And, and I wrote down one, two while we were talking. Right. So and even more that have, uh, have come up since then. All right. What's your number one? So my number one is from my all-time favorite movie series, the, the original, the first three original Star Wars movies um c-3po and r2d2 are my top selections um i have labeled them best robot bromance yeah um because they are just the perfect foils for each other um r2d2 with his he's just amazingly communicative with you know Mm. out actually ever saying a single word yes and and i think that that is just that's genius of of sound design and and scripting and the way you can actually build relationships between you know two completely different people interacting with each other but um but it you know you really do get a sense of who 
R2D2 is and who C3PO mm -hmm. is and who they are to each other. And yeah. as I was reading and I was doing some research, one of the interesting things that was noted about R2D2 is he's the only um he's the only one who has the memory of all six movies. Um because he would have he would have known all all of what happened in all, all six movies. Oh wow. So he's the only continuous continuous character through the whole the whole series. So which gives him another leg up. Yeah, and he has he has very, very few moving parts. Yes, exactly. I mean, all you're looking at is that little eyepiece or lens and piece. And at the same time, you were to sit down and describe him, you would say that he's mischievous, mm -hmm. he's a smart ass, mm -hmm. he's Fantastic. extremely brave. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, willing to stand up and help his friends and, mm -hmm. you know, think of what it's like for Luke when he gets pulled out of the back at the end of Star Wars and he's been yeah. damaged and there you know he's he's you feel this genuine emotion he feels for this little you know he's a robot c-3po android yeah. so for this little robot who's been with him through is a big adventure those i mean for me that was one where i went well it just goes without saying yeah <laughs> some of the a couple yeah. of the most brilliant memorable and iconic robots yeah you know ever created yeah so. absolutely all right Rhonda. well my number one uh it it was there's some personal. There's some personal in this, though, right? It's completely personal yeah. <laughs> um, because it's it's the very first thing I thought of when I thought of robots. It's a it's the very first one I think of, no matter what. And I, I think it had to go on the list for that personal reason. And so it's really it's just it's a very personal list. That's without oh, the course. parameters or restrictions yeah. that um, we would put on it for genres and technicalities okay. and all that crap. Right. Um, but it's the robot B9 from Lost in Space. Aww. And I have him as the most sarcastic robot without a mouth. <laughs> I don't know. He's running right up against R2-D2. <laughs> he doesn't have a, a mouth either. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting, Rhonda, that our two top choices are sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of revealing about us. <laughs> yeah. Huh. And, and they, they actually are a lot alike. I mean, um, B9 was extremely brave. Mm -hmm. um, was highly intelligent. He always knew the right thing to do. He looked out for everybody else. You could depend on him. Um, m m the biggest reason that I think I put him in there is because Lost in Space is the most memorable sci-fi show I remember um, the earliest. Growing up, yeah. And yeah. We talked about that in a previous episode, in case people want to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And he he's extremely memorable because he spoke English. Right. Right. And again, he had, he had very few moving parts. Um, he had a lot of lights. Um, claws for hands. His arms were, were flexible, but he just rolled. Right. Um, and he could spin around. I always thought that was fascinating. <laughs> um, kind of like Wonder and, Woman. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a guy up at the um, company where I'm working right now. I went into his office, and he had a miniature a B9 in his office. Mm -hmm. I've never been so jealous of somebody in my life. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, that's one of my... Uh, my favorite gifts that I've ever received. Oh, that's so. funny. My friend Julie was just talking about how um, a coworker of hers has little um, 3D paper uh, sculptures of um, the plants versus zombies plants <gasps> in her cubicle. Oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where they came from or how she got them, but she was just telling me just today, telling me about these, and I'm like, oh, uh, I'd be so afraid somebody would take them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and those are pretty awesome. They are pretty awesome. 
they were pretty awesome. Well, we probably should talk about our Pantheon. Yes, yes, I guess we should. So do you have any nominees you think that should just, you know, these are robots that would make any list that we ever came up with? I don't know that I do. I, I came up with a list of potential uh, potential robots, but I'm not sure that of out of the ones that, like, you know, like you said, I think C-3PO and R2-D2 need to be on the Pantheon. And I kind yeah. of feel like Data does, too, because I think yeah they're they're very representative very clearly and concretely representative of each type of robot so i I think the only other one that i might might put on there is the t-800 from terminator oh yeah that would be you know interesting actually if you think about it um other than the gunslinger we didn't have any really sort of aggressive choices no we didn't have uh -uh. a lot of fighters we didn't have a lot of um robots that were sent to sort of kill and destroy no and there's plenty on the list because there's um i the one of the ones i thought of was most recently and i can't remember his name it drives me crazy but the um the cyborg in prometheus oh right right exactly exactly oh he is just dangerous. deliciously bad. Yeah, dangerous and, and, yeah, delightfully dangerous. Just the kind of bad guy that ropes you right in, right? Yeah, yeah. and I've got, to, I've got to look up the actor and the character name because they deserve mention. He, yeah. he did a great job. Yeah. So we, did, we didn't, neither one of us picked sort of, you know, I picked the replicators as, you know, one, one of my choices, but they aren't, they aren't purposely bad. They're just trying to do what they were programmed right. to do. You know, they're just trying to do what they do and, and without recognizing, without that sense of humanity, without recognizing what it means to be destroying the way that they destroy. Yeah. So yeah. that, that's yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an interesting, if you, if you, if you want to extrapolate your listener <laughs> any any you know pieces of mine and Rhonda's uh, personalities that you might get from these top five lists which you really should listen to our uh, female heroes or our heroes from childhood yeah that was the one that I think told the most about who you and I were <laughs> yeah <laughs> if yeah, you extrapolate really anything from this list I think that that's a really important thing to note too that neither one of us really sort of gravitated toward violent robots or robots sent to destroy humanity but rather ones that pointed out and described with their with their presence humanity in a more detailed way yeah it'll be interesting um if our listeners will give us any feedback on our list and any that you've thought of i would be interested to see if any of those are not on our long list yeah <laughs> exactly mentioning yeah we can actually i can i can i can type this up and i can have our list of like runners up on the site oh yeah okay see, so people can see you know i'll have my list of runners up and Rhonda's list of runners up for for characters that we didn't actually talk about and didn't make our, our top lists but but we had you know nominations for her <laughs> had been considerations <laughs> cool well um top vibes are some of my favorite uh discussions to have i hope our listeners enjoy it and we'd love to hear from you about what you think give us your feedback all of our social media links are on our website gameongirl.com <laughs> Well, let's do a wrap this week on how we've been geeking out, what we've been watching, reading, and playing. Regina, what have you been watching this week? I've been watching The Walking Dead Season 2. Woohoo! And all I have to say to myself is, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> I'm watching the show, and like BSG, 
I am stressed out. Yeah. I'm worried. I'm on edge, constantly on cliffhangers to see what happens next. And, and this refrain is going through my head. Why am I doing this to myself? So that's what I've been watching. <laughs> So where are you? Have you finished it yet? I finished. Yeah, I finished season two. I've not. I, I'm waiting for season three to, to pop up someplace where I can watch it. I don't have to pay for it. <laughs> so. Okay. And season two was the farm. Season two was a farm. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. It was such a good season. Yeah, it was a really good season. There was a lot of uh, difficult moments and a lot <sighs> really heart-wrenching things when Sophia goes missing and then ends up turning. Oh, it's just brilliant. The, at that moment, oh, God, and she comes out of the... That sh- oh, Ugh. sorry. Sorry, spoiler. Spoilers. Oh, it's good. But it's so... Oh, God, it's just it's just gut-wrenching. The whole, the whole season is... Yeah. Is torture. And the, the characters are really coming more into their own. There's, they're getting a few more dimensions... Yes. Uh, Daryl evolves really well. Yeah, I really like him. And, you know, he had a yeah. certain amount of depth this season that I was just like, wow, I really love that they're kind of breaking open the redneck um, trope mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. Because um, he was so sensitive to um, Sophia's mom, and I can't think of her name. Um, I was just sitting here thinking the same I thing. I remember her name. The top of um, uh, She's great. She's, I love her. Yeah, she's fantastic. But but when he brings her the um the white flower and says these are you know, the Cherokee tradition and he tells that whole like folklore story, I'm like, who are you? And, and that is awesome because I love characters who who make me stop and think about my own prejudice. And I was like, that that was fantastic. That was really well written. They gave him a lot of great depth in that. And yeah. Made him a much more complex and much more interesting character than he he could have been. So yeah, so he was good. Yeah. So what are you? What have you been watching? Well, um, lucky me, I was on vacation last week. Mm-hmm. So the very very first thing I did is watch the entire third season of Downton Abbey. <laughs> And it was it was a cram, and the thing is with Downton Abbey, you can do that with Walking Dead and stuff like that. You may not want to, but yeah, it was really bad. I watched them far too quickly. Yeah, like like to having dreams of of zombies. Yeah, yeah, stuff which was really bad. But yeah, yeah, I think that I think I dreamed that night that I worked in the kitchen or something. I don't remember. <laughs> Season three was really really good. There was one thing that. I knew was going to happen. Um, Another event that I did not know was going to happen. But all I can say is BBC knows how to do a death scene. (laughs) Of course they do. (laughs) They were fantastic. These actors were just amazing. And it's when I'm that enthralled and I'm sitting there watching it and they do a, and they do a cut and they're showing this person dying. I, I did an intake of breath. I don't cry very easily at all. My eyes got moist. So that <laughs> was pretty dramatic. Up. Yeah. 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 Yep, I was pretty dramatic, but the, but the sheer um, accuracy and the way that they did the scene, it was just really, really well done. And I've watched a couple of episodes of under the dome. Mm hmm. Um, I think it's being done really, really well. Uh, I think they've got some really good actors. But I read the book, and once you know the ending, the rest of it seems pointless. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I've been hesitant to uh, finish reading the Game of Thrones books. Because I'm really enjoying the evolution of the show. And I think I'd like to read them after. 
Because I, I don't like, I would have been really disappointed had I known what was coming in season three of Game of Thrones ahead of time. Yeah. The, the, the visual of it, I think, was, I wouldn't have pictured it quite so gory in my head. Because <laughs> I tend to like skim over the bloody parts of whatever I'm reading and make them much prettier. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the show's being done well. And um, I have a feeling that, Stephen King's probably really, really pleased with it, mm-hmm. but it, it it really once you know the end of that story, I'm I'm just not got much interest. Mm-hmm. So, well, what have you been reading? Anything new? Uh, I started a new book in the Immortal series by Tamara Pierce, the third book, which is called The Emperor Mage. Wow, you're blazing through. Them. I am, I am. With that, you know, they're not they're not terribly long, and they're you know big font on um young adult fiction. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> but um but it's 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 a great it's a really interesting because i it, watching the main character's progression and sort of her journey and um you know she went from being sort of an active soldier fighting in the second book um actually to protect the lands to where she's being a diplomat this book um and she's in a foreign land and she's been brought there to help the emperor's um favored birds that have been sick and he hasn't been able to figure out why the birds have been sick hmm. So that's why she was brought to this this place. But she's she's being a diplomat, which it goes against kind of her impulsive. I mean, they call her magic wild magic for a reason. It doesn't have sort of the control that some of the other magic in the the series does. Um, and she, as a character, she's fifteen. She doesn't have a lot of control either, <laughs> which gets her into some sticky situations. Um, but it's interesting to see her kind of developing now into a, a more refined character, to where she's wearing dressier clothes and she's having to to kind of present herself in a different way and it and I can very much see how if I was a young adult reading this series how the ser- the progression of her character would be very easy to relate to at that age so I think that's a, a great selling point for it too awesome yeah yeah it's pretty fun it's pretty fun now how many is in the series there are four in this series so oh, okay. there'll be one more after this one I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but there'll be one more. Yeah. Well, I, again, I was on vacation and what I did more than anything was read. Nice. Uh, Yeah, it was so fantastic. (laughs) Um, I finished three books. Three books. Wow. Yeah. I finished The Enemy by Charlie Higson. Um, I think I may have started that the last show. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a young adult book. It is uh, kind of like a zombie apocalypse um, where it only affects adults. Oh, right. So right. kids yeah. are survivors. Right. Um, I think it was a very good book. Um, I have a hard time believing it's a young adult book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very violent. It's got some really extreme subject matter and uh, language. Um, the writing is very good, and there's an enormous cast of characters, but um, Higson does a pretty good job differentiating them. They don't bleed together. Mm. There's some very distinct personalities, and that's very hard to do. Mm, interesting. Um, it is part of a, a, a long series. Um, I would definitely be tempted to pick up some more of the series, but I just... I'm not in the mood for that right now. Mm, so yeah, yeah. the next one I picked up was Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Simple. Um, that was a really fun book to read. Hmm. It is told from the viewpoint of a teenage girl whose mother goes missing. And basically the book is supposed to be a compilation of emails, text messages, uh, documents, 
everything that this teenage girl has collected and ordered in chronological order in order to determine where her mother went. Oh, interesting. It, it's a really fun read. It's just it's a real blast. I went through it really fast, but um, it was fun. Yeah. Um, and the last one, actually, Toria recommended last time. Oh, yeah. I, I just finished it up last night. was Austin Land by Shannon Hell. Mm-hmm. Hale, H-A-L-E. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, Toria, I did not like this book. Oh. I love Jane Austen, but boy, you've got to be really careful if you're going to make anything Austen a subject of a piece of literature. <laughs> Um, but that wasn't my biggest complaint about the book. My biggest complaint was I just, I didn't care for the writing. I thought it was just a little immature, but also the story I wouldn't recommend. It's definitely, it's a, it's a chick flick, oh. which obviously they've already made it into a movie. And, um, oh, who's the girl who plays, who played Felicity? Um, I damn. have no clue. <laughs> I'm so bad with actor and actresses' names. Oh, that makes me mad. Um, <laughs> she was also in Waitress, wonderful movie. But um, it's it's a chick flick thing, and mm-hmm. it reminded me of The Notebook and some of these others, which to me just basically give horrid romance advice to women. <laughs> and yes, that's the, the ideal that never happens. Yeah. yeah, and even though that seemed to be kind of the message in this book it still turned out to be that way in the end. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, the message is the ideal doesn't exist. Just relax. Oh, look, there's the ideal. Right, right. I just was, I I, I just got through it as fast as I could. (laughs) Well, that's no fun for a, for a vacation reading. (laughs) You can kind of meander through and enjoy. (laughs) All right. So what are you playing? Uh, I have started, I started up a new character in Neverwinter. Oh, okay. Back to Neverwinter, which we reviewed several episodes ago um, when it was in, and wasn't even released for, for public. It's now, you know, public uh, free to play. Uh, MMO so people can go and and enroll and and play it Um, Mark's been playing it as well one of the writers for the site and um, and so I went back and I started playing it my characters that I started during the press beta were no longer there so I had to start from the beginning uh, which was fine and I was playing with someone else who was also starting from the beginning so uh, we had a great time sort of getting to to explore and do the quest lines together and um, they've really streamlined a couple of things that I'm really I'm really happy about um, remember how we both were kind of on the fence about the glitter trail that led you to where you're yeah. going you can turn that off so you have an option cool. to turn that off. But it also automatically turns off like when you're on a quest and you're going to say, you know, you need to collect five stone tabs or whatever from an area. It turns off then as well. So you'll go through like an instance and the trail will automatically turn off. So you know you're in the right area for the quest, but it's not leading you by the nose Good. to each thing that you need to pick up. Good. So that gave it a little bit more flexibility and, and left me a little less feeling like I was, um, you know, being spoon fed how to play. I love the fighting. I'm playing a guardian fighter. Um, I'm a tank. Uh, I ran my first dungeon last oh, wow. weekend. Um, they have streamlined the dungeon finding process where it took other MMOs that I've played years to get, you know, random dungeon finder in place. It's already there. You go and you click on the door for for the dungeon and automatically it pops up. Do you want to join the queue for this? There are two people waiting and you're good to go. And uh, that's that was really impressive. I was like, wow, this is awesome. We jumped right into a group, blew through, you know, 
blew through it with no problem. I was being a tank and sometimes I've had bad experiences in other MMOs when you're a novice tank and you're learning how to fight. Didn't have one bad word, <laughs> you know, thrown in my direction. Um, and I knew I was I was getting reasonably competent. The fighting style is so natural flowing, um, but not cliched. You're not pushing the same buttons that you push in a regular in a in an MMO. You're pushing different buttons, but you, but the just the way the the combat builds is really very natural. It's very different. It's very dynamic, and so it's really easy to kind of jump in and just play and enjoy it. And I'm loving that aspect of it. It sounds like they hit a lot of the right notes for this one. Yes, because because it's different enough from other MMOs, but similar enough. So you still have the same kind of experience of playing it. But I, I don't feel mired down in the learning of the class. Like, I don't feel like I have 5 million choices for skills or um abilities at the at this point i'm at level 15 i think when i stop 15 or 16 and i'm at that point where i'm really confident with what i have right now and i can see where it's building to so it keeps you kind of controlled in an area as opposed to oh you just learned 15 skills and you can use three at a time yeah and you have to pick and then people are yelling at you because you don't have what their favorites are up or what they think is optimized for your character so it, 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 it cut out all of the BS <laughs> and the bloating, I think, is around a lot of other MMO gameplay. So I really, I really appreciate that, and it, it's making it a much more pleasurable experience to go and play it. So well, I'm glad, I'm glad it's turning out well because I mean, when we were playing some of the early beta, it was, it was a nice game. Yeah, yeah, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. It's a gorgeous game. It's got a really high um, quality game design, especially for a free-to-play game, which I appreciate because a lot of times they'll cut corners on um, on graphics and, and some yeah. design elements, um, which they have not done with this game. So it, it gives you everything that you could want. You know, that you do collect um, chests with uh, keys that you have to buy to unlock to get the best gear. But as far as I'm concerned, you can play the entire content of the game without having to pay for it. Nice. Which is what... Well, you'll have to let me know if you ever get one of those horses that are on fire. <laughs> I will let you know. That's the coolest thing. That's things. one of the things that's in those um, those boxes you have to buy the keys for. Oh. The are in those boxes, so... Well, see, I was sitting here thinking, you know, eh, I'm, I wouldn't spend any money. I'd buy that yeah. horse on fire. Yes, man. yeah, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. <laughs> so what have you been playing? So you had vacation. You have some time to play some games? Yeah, interestingly enough, but um, right before I left, I started giving um, The Walking Dead a try. Mm -hmm. I got it in a humble bundle. And I have to say, I was seriously disappointed. Oh, really? Yeah, I've heard such because great things about it. So me too. Yeah, and, and so I'm playing it, and I'm I'm like, this is not, this can't be the right game. Hmm. This is not the game I've been hearing about. There's there's just no way. And to verify that, you know, I was at lunch today with um, the developers from work. Hi guys, I'm mentioning you. <laughs> Who asked specifically? Yes, to they asked the specifically for me to mention. <laughs> Um, I, I just went ahead and asked out loud. Is like they were talking about The Last of Us and how great it was, and I was I said, well, how does it compare to The Walking Dead? And they agreed with me. They're they're like, I played that, and it all I heard was good things, but it was boring and it was single threaded, and there was nothing to do. And that's mm. I, I it blew my mind. Well, part of, part of what I think they were doing, at least from what I understood, what I from what I was reading, is trying to capture the experience of those point and click games that you and I remember playing back in the day, yes. like Mist, that only had one story that you could follow. So, so that was part of their intention, I think. Yeah. 
whether or not it, you know, was successful or you enjoyed it, or maybe we've, you know, evolved past that as, you know, you've evolved past that as a gamer, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think I think maybe the failure was the expectation. Yeah, that could be when you've heard everybody go on and on yeah. about something and then you go to play it and you're like, man, it's like when you go to see the movie everybody's raving about and you're like, oh, I wasn't all that great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I bought another expansion of Timeline. I got historical events. Oh, who got you hooked on Timeline? Um, That would be um you. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. And I wasn't really, I wasn't looking forward to playing historical events because um, my husband's a history nut and I just knew I was going to get brutalized, but I enjoy playing the game so much. It's, it, it, you don't care. It's just so fun. Yeah. yeah. But I beat him. Woohoo. Yay. No. That's fantastic. And sometimes I think it's one of those situations where if you know too much, it makes it too hard. Yeah. To, Cause then sometimes right. you're like, you get muddled. Instead of going with your instinct. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really surprised to see that there's an expansion for Elder Sign. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, called Unseen Forces. I just happened to see it and I purchased it. And if you've had trouble winning Elder Sign in the past, buy the expansion and it will guarantee that you will never, ever win the game. The monsters oh, are brutal. Funny. The the uh, there are new ancient ones. There's new everything. It's a really um, good expansion for the money. New investigators, uh, new ancient ones, new monsters, new cards for every deck. It almost doubles your decks. Hmm. Um, very nice expansion, um, but that it just makes it impossible to win. <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind. Now, is that for the online or for the um? No, this is tabletop. the tabletop one. Okay, we'll have to look at that because we have the yeah. we've been playing that as well with our with our tabletop game group. So new dice, you can you can get cursed and blessed. <laughs> yeah. Nice, that's awesome. Well, we love talking about geek stuff. Let us know how you uh, were geeking out last week. What you were watching, reading, or playing. We you can find us on Twitter. Facebook, or the links through our website. You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R-H-O, R-H-O-O-M. Or you can email me, Rhonda, at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz, with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter and Steam. Um, as a note to anybody who's followed me on Twitter, if I've got... A- few new followers recently and if you say hi i will follow you back um i generally don't just randomly follow people unless i know they're real Uh, (laughs) there's a lot of not real people on twitter so please make sure to uh to say hi and i'd like to thank Rhonda for uh coming up with the idea for our fabulous top five robots episode today you're welcome that was really fun and uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it we'd love to hear um your arguments or your agreements with us on the website gameongirl.com you can find links there to our itunes and stitcher streaming downloads as well this podcast is edited by the fantastic ryan broom at desert tree media and the theme song good day by triple fox is used under a creative commons attribution license thanks for listening and until next time game on danger will robinson danger danger